and I would like to introduce this very talented panel responsible for this wonderful show we've just seen. Maddie, the star of the show in many ways. <laughs> the voice of reason, Maddie. <laughs> um, Simon Day. Charlie Hickson. Harry Hill. The other star of the show, of course. And Sandy Johnson, who is the director and also a wonderful Hitchcockian cameo as the photographer there, which we very much enjoyed. Well, Charlie, if I could start by asking you about the idea of bringing this to the screen in the first place. What, what gave you that idea? Uh, well, I was a big fan of the books as a kid, and I'd sort of slightly forgotten them over the years because they hadn't been very much in the public eye. Uh, but then, when I had kids of my own, I was always looking for stuff to read them, and um, I remembered Professor Brainstorm, and I tried that out on them. And uh, it went really well. They, they really laughed um, and found it very funny. And I thought it was really interesting that a book, because the first two books were written in the early 1930s, I thought, you know, that a book written that long ago could mm. still make modern kids laugh. There's something really endearing about the, the central character. Um, and I think kids can relate to that sort of anarchy and chaos, and also the fact that, that Professor Brainstorm really just doesn't connect with the world, doesn't care <laughs> what happens, which I think is, is a lot like the sort of way child's, children's minds work. Yeah. And, I, and I mentioned um, uh, in a couple of interviews, I'd said how much I enjoyed the books and really reading them. And um, I was actually approached by someone who was wanting to... Um, do more, uh, develop it as a possible film or a TV series. Um, and so it was something we've been talking about for a long time. Um, the rights then ended up at, Ch at BBC Children's, and then one of the executives at the BBC <coughs> thought, oh, I'd be, maybe Professor Brainstorm would be something good to do. Mm -hmm. They looked into it, found that the BBC had the rights in the children's department, moved it to the comedy department, particularly when they found out that my name was attached to it. Mm -hmm. They thought, well, this is a possible, possible project, but we needed a professor in order to uh, <laughs> sell this to the modern audience. And um, the BBC executives made a list of bald comedians. <laughs> <laughs> and Harry was about number five. But so we, we talked about it to, to Harry, and Harry seemed very keen. And, and so once we had that, package of me and Harry and the great books, um, it became a viable thing. So. Brilliant. And why did you think Harry was so right for this role? Well, what I, what I really uh, thought was perfect was the fact that Harry's comedy um, appealed both to kids and adults. Mm -hmm. There was no, uh, they could laugh just as much. And so he was a character that adults would be happy to watch and that, that kids could relate to. And, and, and I think the Harry Hill world was quite similar to the Professor Brainstorm world, mm. in that this is someone in his own little world creating anarchy and chaos and not too bothered about the consequences of that. Excellent. Very well answered. <laughs> 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 what appealed to you, Harry, when, when you were first approached about it? Uh, well, like Charlie, I was a fan of the books as a yeah. kid. You know, I was like a, a, I was a teenage inventor. You know, back in the 70s, we talked about this last time a bit, but... Uh, what sort of things did you invent? Well, I, uh, well I, we invented um, stink bombs and uh, fireworks. 
used to make, we used to sell them to the other children at school. I was about 11. <laughs> Not at all dangerous. <laughs> I grew up in, uh, in a little village called Staplehurst in Kent, and we founded, me and two friends founded Staplehurst Chemical Industries, <laughs> which is uh, SCI. And we got the order forms out of uh, the catalogues. You know, those old Freeman's catalogues, and we changed the, uh, the heading. And we, uh, so we used to sell those, smoke bombs, 5p each. And uh, I've got a friend who's... Uh, Mum banned him from buying anything from us because uh, he filled the house with smoke. <laughs> and we, we were always trying to make gunpowder, but you could never get, uh, you know, you can buy two of the ingredients to gunpowder from the chemist. We, we used to be able to in those days. But the third ingredient, you, could, you couldn't get hold of, uh, except that Patrick, this other friend of mine, his auntie was a chemistry teacher, so she sent us some through the post. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I was always into that. You know, there was nothing to do in the 70s. <laughs> we didn't have iPads and nothing on TV, was there, apart from old black and white, you know, black and white films. <laughs> so why did I start talking about that? Yeah, so I liked, um, so I was a fan of the, it appealed to me, the, the Norman Hunter books. I think they had a resurgence in the early 70s, late 60s, mm. the, uh, the books. Yeah, I think he wrote two books in the early 30s and went off and did other things for 40 years. Right. And then I think what happened in the late 70s, uh, Thames TV made, uh, a TV series, which uh, Sandy and I have looked for oh. any evidence of. You can't find any clips anywhere. And I think on the back of that, there was a, a, a new interest in Professor Braisdell, and he went on to write about another eight books through the 70s mm. and the 80s. So uh, I think for for people of our generation, it was sort of we, that's I think probably why we knew about Professor Braisdell. Mm. Did you immediately connect with the character when when you read the script? Did you think, oh yes, I know how to do this? Well, I mean, mm. I was ne very nervous about it because I never, I don't think of myself as an actor, mm -hmm. you know, I mean, I, although it's not a huge stretch, the, <laughs> <laughs> the, the role, um, but I was, you know, I, I was very keen to do it because I just, uh, I didn't like the idea of anyone else doing it, mm. more than wanting to do it myself. There's <laughs> <laughs> acting for you in a nutshell. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, so, um, and then we had some discussions about it, you know, mm. I went and met extremely grumpy man called uh, Charlie Higson. <laughs> I don't know why he was in such a bad mood. And he asked me, you know, for any thoughts. Mm -hmm. And so I gave him about two pages of notes, including um, that I thought it should be set in the modern day, like Sherlock. And uh, he ignored all those notes. And so uh, <laughs> I didn't bother. And when you asked this, so when we came out to do this one, uh, I didn't uh, offer any notes at all, did I? <laughs> No, and he's well, much more cheerful. Look how much more cheerful he is now. <laughs> I'm just pretending. No, uh, well, for me, it was it was really important that we s we set it in a pre-digital age, mm -hmm. an age before people had home computers and that, because in an age where people still made things and tinkered with things mm. and, and, oh. and things were done mechanically, it felt to me that that was the fun thing about the world. Um, you know, it, and and these days we've we've sort of lost a lot of those skills because it's sort of like, will there be an app for that? Yeah. We'll just do it. We'll, did, we'll digitally tinker. So, yeah. it, and, and what was great in making it is that originally, I think we thought we were going to do a lot more CGI with the inventions and things, but we had this fantastic designer, and he started making stuff for us, mm. and, and we just thought, actually, the, the real mechanical inventions are so yeah. much more fun. Fantastic. And the bills are puppets. Mm. I, I saw there was a list yeah, of puppeteers, they, they puppeteers in the credits. They, yeah, they, that's they all, amazing. They gave them very sort of human emotions, caring, and... That's absolutely brilliant. Yeah.
I'll go in a minute. <laughs> Tell we're, us. We're thinking of getting a puppeteer to work you next time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 as well. Maddie, when you were offered the role of Connie, what appealed to you about it? Girls aren't often appealed to science mm -hmm. at the moment, but I think I, th well, I thought about it and I thought it just seems something that is going to really inspire girls to get into science. Right. And I think I thought it was just such a brilliant role, and I read the scripts and I genuinely thought they were absolutely magical. And I just think it was, I think the production was just going to come together so well, and it's just going to be like a brilliant family show and everything. Lovely. And what was the reaction of your science teacher at school? Um, well, when it first came out, loads more girls have been signing up to the uh, school science club, so I think my science teacher is really proud of that. Oh, that's great. So, yeah. So, Connie really can inspire girls to get involved with science then? Yeah, definitely. I think the power of TV can actually change a lot, really, because mm. like with this, so many girls have been into science now, and positive thinking towards TV is just brilliant now, I think. That's fantastic. And Simon, Deadshot, a wonderful part. Tell yeah. us what attracted you to him. I've got, got a fan letter from an old colonel. Did you? Inspires <laughs> him, yeah. He's, he's come out and not really. No, um, <laughs> no, I just like the illustrations because I, my dad had lots of books about war, but he also had um, Century of Punch, which was all the best of punch cartoons. Mm -hmm. And I used to read that when I was very young. So I knew the illustrations. Uh, and it's a great thing to work from, those illustrations. And they look uncannily like us, especially Harry's one, the, the, yeah. the actual original professor. So it's very good to have them. Once you've got the costume and that illustration, that world, I think it's very easy to sort of build the character around it. But, I mean, I'll, you know, I'll do anything, so... <laughs> <laughs> obviously, I was, was going to do this. No, not really. It, it's very good to be involved in it. And it's actually very... It's lovely to watch it with my kids, and they actually mm. sit through it and, and get it as opposed to walking away from the television. That's great. <laughs> Sandy, the look of the show is wonderful. How hard was that to achieve that sort of almost timeless vintage feel that it has? Well, in the 70s, I was watching all the black and white films that, <laughs> that Harry was talking about and the colour ones. So yeah. it, was, uh, it was films like the 1950s Ealing comedies like the Titfield Thunderbolt, mm -hmm. uh, you know, A Man in the White Suit, mm. those incredible movies from that time which kind of inspired us and uh, working with Anthony Cartledge, the designer, mm -hmm. we, um, when we first started on the first film, we, it was around the time that Emmett had his exhibition, uh, mm -hmm. Emmett who designed these amazing machines for, mm. for films in the 1960s. So we started with Emmett and then we looked at the Heath Robinson mm. illustrations and those amazing Heath Robinson contraptions and drawings. Mm -hmm. So that was the obvious source that we worked from design-wise. Yeah. So we tried to recreate what Heath Robinson had, uh, had illustrated. Mm -hmm. So they were the models for each character. You know, and, uh, you know, Connie, the character Connie does exist in the books in a small way, mm -hmm. but of course Charlie has made her center to the whole thing, and that's why the script was so brilliant. Yeah. Tell, tell us about developing the character of Connie. What was the thinking behind that? Um, well, it's very interesting if you read the original uh, Professor Brainstorm books. Uh, Connie does appear now and then, but she's not a big character. It's, they're very much stories about adults, about three mm -hmm. adults. The, the, the Professor, Mrs. Fiddlesnoop, and, and the Colonel. Um, and, I, and, and certainly as a kid, I don't remember thinking, oh, I wish there were some kids in it. But I, I certainly thought bringing it to television and appealing to, to kids that 
I felt that if there, if there was a character of some sort more for them to identify with as a way into that world. Mm -hmm. um, and, and, and the obvious one to develop was, was Connie and to bring in the aspect of, uh, because it was a time when there was a lot of discussion about um, women and science and all that kind of thing. It just, it just felt like a good fit to, to, to say, well, look, here's a, here's a little girl. She's really into science, but she's, she's, she's not getting the most out of it. Yeah. And, and, uh, and so, yeah, so it was a benefit for that. I mean, the, the thing is, the original books, they are, they are short stories. Um, the, the first book was actually originally written for BBC Radio for Children's mm. Hour to be read out. Mm -hmm. uh, and they were very successful, and he compiled them into the book with the amazing Heath Robinson illustrations. Mm -hmm. and, and, and so they became very popular. But they're quite hard to, to adapt into an hour-long piece mm. because each little story tends to be the professor makes an invention that goes disastrously wrong, <laughs> crazy, causes havoc, but then has an unexpected benefit at the end of it and everything gets put right. Um, so I, I definitely felt we, we needed more of a drama and we needed more of a human story mm. to, to put through that. And so developing Connie and her mum seemed to be the way to go. And in this one, marvellous uh, Steve Pemberton as Algebrain. What, what was the thinking behind him from an unspecified European country, obviously? I, I, I just love the idea of an inventing competition and having <laughs> yeah. a sort of arch-rival inventor. Mm. Uh, and there is, a, there is a story that it was loosely based on of, of, a, of a rival professor turning up who's a, who's a complete charlatan. Mm. Um, and I just thought that would be a, a really fun character to throw in there. Mm. Wonderful. Harry, an amazing chase at the end. Can you tell us about filming that? I mean, it looked quite scary yeah. at some points. Yeah, I mean, I was quite, um, I must admit, I was anxious as I was flying off the, over the handlebars into the um, river. <laughs> uh, at least getting out of the river. Eh? Yeah. Well, that's the first time I've, I've seen that, obviously. And I, I, it I looks fantastic, on, doesn't it? Yeah, it's great mm. fun. Yeah, it's a really good uh, kind of build, isn't it, for the end. Um, I was on the back of a low loader. They wouldn't let me uh, ride the actual penny farthing. And that uh, Rob, the uh, stuntman, they, they printed a photograph of him on the, in, on the, in the Daily Mail, um, Mail Online. And, he's, and, the, and the, the, with the strap line, uh, Harry Hill looks virtually unrecognisable. <laughs> <laughs> For obvious reasons. Yeah. After a full body transplant. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, no, he was, he was great, wasn't he? And actually, uh, Jason, the, the, who plays the policeman, was pretty impressive, wasn't yeah. he? Yeah, yeah. And also the guy who was doubling for Steve as well, yeah. I imagine, yes. Yes, he, yeah. uh, he owns and built that Montevello. Incredible. Yeah. He's the only person who can ride it. Wow. Because um, there's, there's nothing to stop you, like a gerbil, going <laughs> inside <laughs> it, you know, like a hamster yeah. wheel. And he has to sort of gauge that as he's riding along. Um, it's great to see a... Um, a nun going into the uh, into, I yes. love that. into the river on the handlebars of a policeman. <laughs> it's a proper old school chase, yeah. which is what I love about it. Nuns I mean, and melons. It was actually one of our the first discussions we had when we were talking about doing a second one. Was mm. Sandy said, "Oh, we've got to do a penny farthing chase," mm. uh, and then we were thinking about a mad machine, and, and Sandy said, "It's got to be a monovella." And, and to actually find someone who, who would make mm. that. Did he get much work, fella? He was a bit nuts. He also races lawnmowers. Does he really? He competes. He co yes, he competes internationally in the lawnmower racing <laughs> stakes. And they get up to 40 miles an hour on these lawnmowers. Goodness me. Yeah. From a director's point of view, can you talk about the challenges of, of filming that wonderful sequence? Uh, yeah, mm. yeah. Well, it, it, Obviously, we, we storyboarded the whole thing. Mm. It's, uh, 
how personally how, how I tend to work is I, I try and sort of storyboard everything. Mm. But especially for this kind of uh, action sequence, we had to obviously give the impression that Harry and Steve and the policemen were on those machines mm. without endangering their lives. Um, so we had low loaders. We had to um, adapt the low loaders so that the Montevello could actually still run. So it's just off the ground on a being towed, but there's a roller so that the, the wheel can turn so mm. as he revs it up. So Steve yeah. was actually riding along and we were shooting him in that way. But of course, intercutting with uh, Dave doubled as him, you know, yeah. really doing the, the track through the, through the town. You know, you can give the impression that it's the real thing oh, absolutely that's amazing. going on. Yeah. Yeah. It's becoming, after two years, a Christmas tradition. Why do you think it's so appropriate, Harry, for Christmas, this particular character? <clears throat> well, I mean, it's sort of family entertainment and the mm -hmm. idea, you know, people sitting around after they've been stuffing their faces and arguing <laughs> uh, over Christmas lunch. <laughs> Oh, it's Christmas Eve, well, isn't it? Christmas Eve. Yeah. Well, it's it's it's, and I think it's you know, without getting too dewy-eyed about it, it's sort of the sort of thing the BBC do well, yeah, isn't it? You know, it's. Uh, That's what I was thinking as I watched it. Yeah. Kind of, they don't do this sort of stuff as, as much as they should, mm. and it's just very wholesome, but it's still interesting and different and fun. You know, it's just a great the whole. The whole thing is very well realised. I think. Mm. So thinking uh, for next year, it'd be great to do a, a real full-on Christmas episode. Which, so mm. It would be swelteringly hot and all the daffodils would be out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone in t-shirts. Yes. <laughs> but is it that family aspect, Charlie, that makes it so appropriate for Christmas, you think? Well, I mean, Christmas is one of the few times a year where a, 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 a family will sit down as mm. a family and watch television and try and find something that the kids will enjoy, the adults mm. will watch, yeah. and it's not going to offend Granny, yes, um, yeah. it's, and it's quite hard. But uh, yeah. uh, as Harry said, the BBC are very good at that. They always do the David, uh, David Williams book at Christmas, mm. uh, and um, we've, this is our second one now. And um, you know, I like I like sitting down and watching something yeah. together at Christmas. So I um, thought I'd make my own. <laughs> <laughs> what, what do you and your and your friends think of it? What's the reaction from your friends been? Um, I think my friends really like it because it's something completely different, and like yes. it's brilliant for Christmas because. You don't have many kids shows like this anymore. They're all really new and modern, but this kind of is real core, and it's just it's brilliant. I think they all really enjoy that for that. Mm, that's great. And Charlie, you mentioned maybe next year. Do you think it could really build into a, a tradition, a tradition like well, the Wallians? Well, it, it depends whether Harry wants to do more, whether mm. BBC wants us to do more. I mean, uh, it's certainly a, a fantastically fun thing to do. Um, so it. it, it there's, there's lots of decisions to be made, but I'm, I'd certainly be up for, for doing more, yes. Mm, brilliant. Would anyone in the audience like to ask a question? Call it there, then. No. Oh, oh sorry, yes. Right. Lloyd, is it? Um, <laughs> why does uh, my dad, why does he... That's Simon Day. Yeah. <laughs> Why in the first in the first movie he <laughs> a big part. He had a big part and <laughs> he had a small part. I'm gonna ask the writer about that. 
That's the best question I've ever heard. Uh, I'm doing many years of BAFTA, that's the best question I've ever heard. <laughs> <laughs> Sandy, were you going to say something or, or Charlie? I, I, I didn't think the part was smaller than Sandy. No, 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 no. I, I, I no, think it's the same. I think it's about the same. Exactly the same. Oh, dear. You measure them. Did you count the lines, Lloyd, then? <laughs> yes, you did. <laughs> but also, um, could you talk a bit about Vicky Pepperdine? Because she's very oh, yeah. crucial to it, isn't she? Yeah, yeah she's great. Yeah. Yes, uh, I mean, Mrs. Mrs. Fritzner is such an important character um, in the books, and uh, she's physically quite distinctive. Which, mm. um, and so, you know, we all had set in our minds of quite a very physical type, and you know, Vicky looks fantastic in the part, but, uh, you know, she's a very, very funny actress and someone mm. that I've certainly... Uh, I worked with her very, very briefly. <coughs> she did a tiny thing on the Fast Show, but she's one of those actresses that I've always wanted to do more with. So it was great to get that, to do that part and to do that sort of old-school... The voice is wonderful, That old-school voice yeah. that they used to do for working-class people in films. <laughs> yeah. Mm. Posh sure people where. doing yes. a working-class accent. Yes. Yeah. which no real person has ever spoken <laughs> like. But, uh, I think she and Sophie had uh, Sophie Thompson had great mm. fun getting together. Uh, I, I do like the little scenes with the two of them, mm. where they're yes. both doing that voice together. <laughs> mm. and, and Adrian, of course. Uh, Adrian, I was going to mention yeah, also yeah. David Mitchell, could you because you know he's got a big part in this one as well. But what does he bring to that role of the counsellor? Well, he's the fantastic adversary. You know, the yeah. council is trying to thwart uh, everything that Brainstorm does. And, you know, David really relishes that part. He so yeah. enjoys doing it. Um, you know, he embodies Hagerstone, <laughs> yeah. which is uh, so funny. Yeah. Now, Charlie, could you talk about the wonderful act who plays the mayor? I'm not quite sure who it is, but he took over yeah. when someone else wasn't able to do it. Is that right? Yes, yes. Um, uh, Brian Blessed was was in line for doing it. Was he too understated for the role? <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, he, he got uh, he got an eye infection just oh, before gosh. we started shooting. So uh, when we did a read through for it, I, I stepped in. I said, "Look, I'll read the part for the read through," um, and because I, I was very busy at the time, and I, I didn't mm. think I, I would be in this. Uh, but everybody said after the read through, said, "Oh, well, you might as well do it." Then. And I'd basically been doing a sort of impression of Brian Blessed. <laughs> uh, so I thought, well, as long as I can get a huge beard, then I'll be happy. Probably happy in the world. And it is and it, lovely just to turn up. Um, because what I, one of the things I like about doing this show is a lot of the stuff I'm, I, I'm doing, I, I'm very involved on the production side and, and mm. show running. But on this, because of commitments with other things, uh, it was fantastic to just hand it over to Sandy and our amazing uh, producer, Rosemary McGowan. Yeah. Uh, and I knew I was in safe hands, so it was lovely to just for them to be getting on and doing it. And then it was just nice to pop in for a couple of days with a big beard, <laughs> and and just uh, enjoy being in it for a while. And you know we had great a great cast last time, and a, another fantastic cast this time with some e lovely extra people in. Um, obviously, there's Adrian Scarborough, who's the vicar in both, mm -hmm. and Diana Rigg, which well, do uh, talk about Diana Rigg. How did how well, did you Rosemary get said, well, well, well you know, because we'd been thinking, who are we going to get to play this part? She said, well, what about Diana Rigg? I said, well, well that would be brilliant, obviously, but there's no way <laughs> Diana Rigg is going to want to come and be in our daft little film. But um, Rosemary said, we'll send it to her anyway. And it went off to her, and, it, and she came back quite quickly saying, no, she said, I love it. It's really funny. I'd love to do it. Uh, and I think she quite relishes the, the fact that she is, she's one of the few um, older actresses around 
who can actually still play their age because mm. Mm. she still looks like a real person, which yeah. so many of them don't. Yeah. Um, and, she, uh, and, and she really oh. likes that fact. She enjoys that and yeah. uh, she plays on it. Um, and and her, her and Adrian together, it was just a treat and a lovely way to kick it off. It's a wonderful way to open the film, isn't it? Yes, it's mm. great. Any other questions? Yes. Oh, sorry, there's a chap here. Then, Ben, I'll ask you next. Sorry, yes. Harry, you are so funny. <laughs> oh, I paid for two. Uh, well, that's a, that's a great question. Yes, can you tell us about... <laughs> yes, thank you, thank you for that. Uh, ben, yeah. from uh, the Radio Times. I was just wondering um, what the lessons you learned creatively, probably one for, for Charlie, um, from, from the first film to the second one, were there any sort of particular things you wanted to accentuate or avoid? It seems to me there's more jokes in this, more visual gags and verbal gags. Is that right? And, and what were the kind of the lessons you learned from the first film that you carried uh, over? Yeah, I mean, I, that had always been my intention from the start, but with any new project, you're never quite sure what you're going to be able to pull off. And certainly when I wrote the first script, I wrote a load of stuff in. I thought, well, I'll write this, but I doubt they'll ever get around to actually being able to do it all. But, but Sandy managed to, to, to pull it all off. <laughs> and, you, and you certainly learn from that, slightly what I was saying before, the balance between whether you're going to use CGI or do it for real or mechanically. Uh, because CGI is brilliant, but it's very expensive. And it, it, so it's how you use your budget. So uh, also, having done it the first time, we had, we had the existing sets and we knew the location. So there was a lot of time saved and money saved going into it, which you could then use elsewhere and, and, and pump it up as much as you can. And, you know, I, I, I just, you know, with a project like this, you've got to, there is a story there, and I hope it's a, it's a good story that people enjoy, but I, I try and keep it loose enough that you can just put, keep adding gags and visual gags and funny lines and, and, and just, you know, get in some guest stars to do funny little scenes like the scene we did with... Rosie Cavaliero and Matt Berry, mm. which, uh, which was great fun to do. So, yeah, with any project, you learn a huge amount the first time, which you hope you can you can build on and, and preserve what works, what is magical about it, and not not overthink it. Maddie, how did you find it working with CGI? Was that difficult? Um, it can be quite challenging sometimes because mm. you're not sure what it's going to look like or <laughs> what it's actually doing. But everyone's really clear with the direction of where it is. Like Sandy was brilliant. He'd tell us exactly where it is, what it was doing. And I think he made it quite easy for us to be able to go with it. And yeah. Really and was good. it surprising when you saw the finished version here? Yeah, mm. seeing the finished version of some things was just really weird because you did not imagine how good it was going to look. I yeah. mean, when we did the first one, because I haven't seen any of them yet, the, um, watching the CGI was much better than I imagined it could be. It was mm. brilliant. Fantastic. Any other questions? <laughs> yes, young lady there. Why is a French guy so vicious? French. <laughs> He's from an unspecified European country. Well, to any of our French viewers, yeah. <laughs> when we were watching it, you turned to me and said, is he the baddie? And I said, yes, and if he's going to be the baddie, then he's got to be bad, hasn't he? He's got mm. to do bad things. But, he, but he, he, he gets his punishment at the end. That's what's important. Mm. <laughs> yes. Oh, wait, could you wait for the microphone? Sorry. Who comes up with all the ideas for all the different inventions? 
it's a combination. Some of them are in the original books, um, and so we use them. Uh, some of them, obviously, I come up with when I'm writing the script, but other bits and pieces, um, Sandy, the uh, director, and Anthony, the designer, will say, well, what about we do this, or I could make this? Um, and, and so we'll work together on um, coming up with something. What's great is that I'll have a sort of an okay idea, and then everybody else working on it can make it better and better and better and add bits to it that I hadn't thought of. So, um, uh, so it's a lot of, lot of fun to do that side of it. Did you like the, the inventions? Yeah. Did you have a favourite there? Mm, I, like, I like Connie's hat. Oh, Connie's hat, <laughs> yes. <laughs> but again, that was something I thought, I wrote it, and I thought, well, we'd probably have to make this a, a digital thing and make it in a computer. But uh, no, they said, no, no. We'll make it a real hat that actually works with flashing lights and a big arrow that comes out like that. <laughs> they let you have that. Yeah, we, we, tried, we tried to make the effects this time more mechanical and real so that you know, you, they were in the room with the, the actors and they could touch them and hold them. And, uh, because the Heath Robinson drawings that inspired us, everything is very real all sort of mm. tied together. In the first film, we did have a CGI uh, house cleaning machine, but it was it was so well done. It looked like a mechanical object. <laughs> you know, you'd think it was the real thing, but it was running around by itself. Mm. So that's wow. the kind of feel that we wanted. It's a kind of uh, a very real look to all the effects. Excellent. Well, I would just like to say a huge thank you to the panel for a wonderful discussion and also a brilliant show. So to Maddie, Simon, Charlie, Harry. Sandy, thank you so much. It was wonderful. Thank you. Thank you.